From west to east and kingdom to kingdom, you're listening to the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. Connecting with Walt is brought to you by Dreams Unlimited Travel, experts at helping you plan the perfect Disney vacation. Visit them on the web at dreamsunlimitedtravel.com. Hey there, hi there, ho there, and welcome to episode 243 of the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. I am your host and Diz historian Michael Bowling, and I am joined by my co-host and good friend John Sakari. John, how are you today? My voice will tell you I'm not doing good, but I am doing good because I'm finally over the flu. I'm just dealing with the remnants of it now. Thank you. Uh, well, I'm glad you're here with us. I'm glad you're feeling better. So do you Thank have you any very home, home remedies that you use? You know, I go for the the regular over-the-counter stuff. Mm-hmm. The stuff that tells me it's going to knock me out and put me to sleep, that's what I go for. And it doesn't work all the time. What really helps me though, like with sore throats, because I I talk for a living at my you know my full time job and this job, is I this I got when I was still a teacher. I had a student from South Africa, and and they saw that I kept getting sore throats all the time, and she told me about how um, to make a tea out of fresh ginger, ginger mm. root. So. You chop it up really, really finely. And when I finally um, got, when Cuisinarts were invented, I got one of those. And I would ch- just mince it really finely and I would make, steep it as a tea. Mm. And, and you tolerate it as hot as you can take it. And can you add honey? It. Or well, sugar? I added honey to it. That was my okay. contribution to it. She would say a little lemon. Uh, she said a little lemon as well. That really did the trick does the trick okay now do you know why do you know why that all rings true remember they would say ginger ale would it would calm your stomach uh-huh uh-huh so it makes sense that the ginger boy, you seven up yep, too uh-huh. yep yep so that makes sense that the ginger might do the throat as well yeah yeah so so if, if you ever get a sore throat there's there's that that home remedy but i swear by that well, we're going to, since it's the 100 years of wonder for um, Disney uh, is starting up, we are going to, we're going to take a walk through Disneyland uh, in this episode. Uh, one of the significant differences between Disneyland's Fantasyland and Walt Disney World's Magic Kingdom's Fantasyland is the number of dark rides in each realm. Now, Disneyland has dark ride attractions based on Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, Peter Pan, Pinocchio, The Adventures of Mr. Toad, and Alice in Wonderland. Critter Country has an attraction based on Winnie the Pooh. Uh, the Magic Kingdom features dark ride attractions based on The Little Mermaid, Peter Pan, and Winnie the Pooh. And, and John, what do you say? Do you think Seven Dwarfs Mine Train is a dark ride, a roller coaster, or a hybrid of both? I'm going with the hybrid. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely a roller coaster that has dark ride elements. Yep, I agree with you there. Okay. So now, do you have a favorite Fantasyland dark ride attraction? Let's say at your Magic Kingdom. At my Magic Kingdom, and this, this, this would be different if you asked me about yours, but in Walt Disney World, it's Peter Pan's Flight for me. Oh, okay. 
Yeah, I yeah. do like, I, especially when they um, redid the queue. Yes. There. The, the thing is, though, the queue became so good that I felt like, okay, we need to add some of that light, some of that magic, some of that mm-hmm. fantasy into the ride now because my hopes and expectations are getting increased because of this wonderful queue. Yeah, yeah. But, and we're going to talk about probably my favorite attraction today at Disneyland's Fantasyland. So, so when Disneyland opened in 1955, Fantasyland was one of the last realms to be completed before the opening date. Now, Walt originally envisioned the realm to be a quaint European village housing attractions within the walls of Fantasyland Castle, as it was originally going to be called. It went through many names before he settled on Sleeping Beauty. Unfortunately, Walt ran out of money, and with the opening date of the park approaching, Fantasyland was redesigned to resemble a medieval tournament setting with painted Masonite dark ride facades beneath canvas awnings and banners. So when Disneyland was being developed, Walt wanted a scary ride, a funny ride, and a beautiful ride in Fantasyland. So when Disneyland opened, the Fantasyland dark ride attractions included Snow White and Her Adventures, Peter Pan's Flight, and Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. So, so John, what would you say was the scary ride, funny ride, and beautiful ride out of those three? I've got to go with Snow White, scary, Peter Pan, beautiful, and Mr. Toad, funny. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, although, yeah, although Snow White was kind of beautiful to me at the end. It was. And, and um, yeah, so no, but I would tend to agree with you there. So, now... Alice of Wonderland was represented by the Mad Tea Party. And, that, and at the time, it was located behind King Arthur's Carousel and in front of the Fantasyland Theater. And today, of course, that is where um, the Pinocchio, Pinocchio's um, Daring Adventure is located. Fantasyland immediately became the most crowded realm of the park due to the number of attractions in a rather small area. And because at the time, there was no trail leading to Frontierland. So there was a dead end where the restrooms are today. And and there was actually like a hamburger and hot dog stand there at that dead end. So because, uh, because that's where I would eat my family was there. And the rest of my family would have those hot tuna sandwiches over at um, – over at the pirate ship, Chicken of the Sea pirate ship there. So I, I do not care for tuna. So. Me either. Yeah. Uh, too many, uh, too many, uh, fry, too many Fridays where the tuna noodle casserole. Yeah. Me in. Yeah. Due to the popularity of the park, Walt immediately began planning new attractions. And that included a new attraction for Fantasyland. A film that Walt and his Imagineers believed lent itself to an attraction would be the madcap adventures of the 1951 film Alice in Wonderland. Now, Walt had intended for Alice in Wonderland to be his fourth animated feature film until he learned that Paramount Studios was planning to release their version in 1933. So the character of Alice was dear to Walt's heart. He started his film career creating the Laughagram Studios with his partner of Iwerks, and together with Roy, they produced the Alice comedies. So Walt believed the success of his studio and its legacy began with Alice in Wonderland. 
Originally, when he pitched Disneyland to his brother Roy and his designers, Walt envisioned an immersive walkthrough attraction that would take part guests on their own adventure through Alice's Wonderland. And this would have been next to Snow White and her adventures attraction. The original description of this attraction was, Walk through the wonderful experiences of Alice in Wonderland as the white rabbit takes you down the rabbit hole, through a maze of doors, the rabbit's house, past the singing flowers, Dodo Rock, the Mad Hatter's Tea Party, climaxing in the courtroom of the Queen of Hearts. So guests would enter the attraction through a rabbit hole and pass into a room of forced perspective illusions and random doors that led to nowhere. At the end of the room would be a concealed exit that opens once the guests are done exploring the room. And the next room would have moving backdrops and ascending platforms the guests must walk up. And the room would be designed to make guests feel like they were in an ocean of waves. Shrunken Alice and the Dodo would be featured in that room. The next room was going to have a dodo on a rock in the middle of a revolving platform, which the guests would have to walk around. In the next room, guests would encounter suspended figures of Tweedledee and Tweedledum jumping around and crashing into each other. Next was a room that would switch from day to night and would allow guests to walk up steps toward the room of the oyster dinner, but it's unknown whether guests would be able to enter the oyster dinner room. The next room would allow guests to enter the White Rabbit's house. Guests would climb a flight of stairs leading to a slide for visitors to return to the outside of the house and a garden of flowers, which features Absalom the caterpillar smoking atop a mushroom. Guests would exit the garden and enter another room, which would be the Told You Wood, filled with artificial trees and featuring the Cheshire Cat, who would disappear and reappear. Next was the Mad Tea Party, which would feature animatronics of the Mad Hatter, Alice, the Dormouse, and the March Hare. Following the Tea Party was a hedge mage for guests to walk through and peek through square-shaped holes in the bushes to see the card soldiers painting the roses red. The next room held another maze that was made out of card soldiers, and guests would find their way through to find the Queen's Court. And the last section would be a short walk across a rotating tubular floor, similar to a funhouse barrel of laughs, with playing cards painted on the inside. So lack of time and money put this walkthrough attraction on hold, and the plot of land next to the Snow White attraction was used for the Fantasyland Theater, and the Mad Tea Party attraction was added as an opening day attraction. So, John, what do you think of this concept of a walkthrough attraction? I keep hearing walking upstairs, sliding down things. <laughs> and I don't know, I'm a little concerned of the physicality involved in this as I get older. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I agree. You know what this <laughs> reminds me of? If um, When I was a boy, there was a an amusement park in San Francisco called Whitney's Playland at the Beach. And it was at the end of my neighborhood. It was on the Pacific Ocean at Ocean Beach. And there, it the one of the big fun things was a fun house in there. This 
feels like a fun house to me with like, the, with the moving stairs up and down. There was a giant slide in there. Um, it, it had this fun house. That's why I put this in here. Fun house barrel of laughs just to try to get people to envision this tubular floor. Um, you sat, you sat on a, oh, you, you would love this because this it's amazing. No child was killed in, in this fun house. But there was a giant record player. I'm thinking a giant record player, and they would just pile kids on, and then they would turn it on, and it would go faster and faster until the kids would just start sliding off, and you'd hit the walls that were padded, and then the last child on would get a free ticket to another attraction in in Apart- Playland. Apart from that part, I thought of the end of Greece uh-huh. when they're going through the funhouse. Yeah. With all those moving platforms and stuff. Yeah. yeah. So this is this is the this is the feel I got for this. And go ahead. As you were reading it, I thought this was something that was planned that never happened. You're telling me this happened already. No, this was never planned. I mean, this was planned. It was. But it never did come out. to fruition. It didn't take place. Okay. Good. Because yeah. kids would have would have gotten hurt. I think. Yeah. I think. I, I think. To your point, I think this is an attraction that would have been very short-lived. <laughs> so, Agree. Especially if, uh, you know, back in the day, even when, when I was little, because, you know, my first visit to Disneyland, the park was two years old. Women were going to the park in dresses and high heels. Yeah. The high heels aren't working. Days. In and this. I thought, I, I could not imagine my mother Go. She would take me to Playland dressed in a hat and he, and a dress and heels and all that, and would go to the fun house and then have the air that would shoot yes. up and shoot up the dress. Oh, that was bad enough. But I couldn't see my mother going down a slide here and no, Alice no. in this Alice in Wonderland attraction. So anyway, well, Alice in Wonderland enjoyed a resurgence of success after the film was edited on television and it was edited on, on, on Walt's Disneyland show. And it was edited into, it wasn't very popular in the theaters, but it was edited into like a one hour episode for the Disneyland television show. And it, it seemed to click with audiences. And so with the, and now with the growing success of Disneyland, the idea of an Alice in Wonderland attraction was revisited. So Imagineer Claude Coates, who had worked as a color stylist on the film and had worked on several Disneyland blacklight attractions that included Space Station X-1 in Tomorrowland, Mr. Toad's Wild Ride, and the Rainbow Caverns Mine Train in Frontierland, was assigned to develop an Alice in Wonderland attraction in 1957. He was given complete responsibility for show design and layout. Colin Campbell, Blaine Gibson, and Ken Anderson were all part of that team, and they also had all worked on the Alice in Wonderland film. A site next to Mr. Toad's Wild Ride was chosen for the attraction. It would still be a part of Fantasyland, but it would be a bit of a distance from the Mad Tea Party attraction. Now, designing this Alice in Wonderland attraction would be very different because it would be the first attraction to be on two floors, with the attraction's second floor atop the show building for Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. I was not aware that we were on 
the Mr. Toad's second floor. I thought we were on Alice in Wonderland's second floor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, so as I describe when we when we start describing this attraction, I want you to think. Okay, in in Mr. Toad, when you um, visit Hades and all that steam <laughs> and all that, you can feel the heat of that in one of the chambers <gasps> of the Alice in Wonderland attraction. No, I want you to think about it as you go okay. through this in your head. Do is it, there a chamber that feels warmer to you? Okay, if it's Alice where the Queen Wonderland of attraction. If it's where the Queen of Hearts is mad at you, that extra heat would totally fit the whole theming. So I got to check that wouldn't out. Wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? So we'll, we'll talk a little more about that when we get there. So being designed two years after the opening of Disneyland benefited the attraction. The use of blacklight had not been a special effect as widely or lavishly used until Disneyland's opening. And Claude Coates had become accomplished at creating ride interiors with color, shapes, and designs that would be complemented by blacklight. Most of the previous dark ride interiors were assembled with layers of flats painted to glow under the black light. However, the Alice in Wonderland attraction was designed with more dimensional scenes and figures. The decision had been made to design it as a ride-through attraction to accommodate more guests per hour. Claude Coates had sketched a ride vehicle designed to look like playing cards, but Walt didn't like it and suggested a caterpillar design. After Claude designed the caterpillar-shaped ride vehicles, Blaine Gibson sculpted it in three dimensions. When constructed, there were 16 two-toned molded cars, each with the crossed forearms and sneering face of the film's aloof caterpillar. Later, the studio's legal team gave Claude a patent application for the ride vehicle design. Claude objected, saying it was Walt's idea. However, Walt had told the legal team that since Claude had designed it, the patent should be in his name. Claude later recalled the legal team giving him around $10 to sign the patent over <laughs> the studio. <laughs> ah, prices went up a little bit today. Yeah, yes. The original dark rides were designed so the guests in the vehicles were the starring characters. So Snow White, Peter Pan, and Mr. Toad did not appear in their own attractions. This would be true for Alice in her attraction. The crazy adventures depicted in Alice in Wonderland were very different in tone and content from any other Walt Disney animated film at the time. And this craziness became the objective of the trend of the attraction. From the start, when Alice enters the rabbit hole, guests move in a linear storyline through tunnels, along pathways, through a forest, reliving the film. Many of the film scenes are played out in bright pools of color against a dark background with signs and odd animals fading in and out of the gloom. Imagineer Bob Gurr recalled working on the mechanics of the Alice in Wonderland attraction, and he said, Roger Brogy was the key shop mechanic that I worked with, and I was given the job of designing all the show action equipment and the automatic doors. It was all done in April and May of 1958. We got the car frames with one horsepower motors, Spicer 44-2 rear ends with 38 to 1 gearing. I have no idea what any of this means. Me either. And this was all from Arrow Development. 
but I had to adapt them to the styling of the Caterpillar bodies. We made a longer version of the standard dark ride vehicles to get two seats in for four passengers. The track had a very simple block zone control system with 48 volts in the guide rail, and the track was 600, well, I'm sorry, 764 linear feet long. The Alice ride always seemed slower than the other dark rides, four feet per second, because of the heavier cars and because we used the lowest gear ratio we could put in. That was what it took to get up the incline to the ride's second four. The minimum performance in any ride is a cold start on an incline if the ride shuts down and has to restart. So every time I hear Bob Gurr talk about something he worked on, I just think how brilliant he really was and just how gifted and talented. You could imagine the obstacles along the way that they had to overcome. Mm -hmm. You know, you could almost feel those that whole incline going up on Alice in Wonderland, you can kind of feel the struggle of the vehicle. Yeah, in, a, in a nice it's way. A, it it does. Just a little. Just a little. Yeah. Going down, too, just a little. Yes. And going down, you could feel a little bit of the force really being utilized there where, you know, mm-hmm. it's, there's some braking. Otherwise, it's going to go a little faster than you want it to. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Bob Gurr also created the mechanics for the action equipment. What he said was, in those days, we called them gags. There weren't many pieces of equipment, and all of them were single-action pneumatic. Something went up and down or out and back. Very simple kinds of gags. In the flower garden, we had these wild flowers waving. I first used aluminum rods with the flowers attached on top in some rubber mounts. We had electric motors with little connecting rods that would gang to an eccentric and all the flowers would move at a certain frequency. By the time we had them tested and running, more and more of the flowers broke and fell down, and I learned the fatigue life of aluminum. (laughs) (laughs) I got some fiberglass fishing rods and replaced the aluminum. What a simple fix. Again, simplicity, brilliance and simplicity. In the woods, we had a birdcage bird and a pop-up character accordion bird. It was on a pneumatic cylinder that popped up and down. We wanted to have the vehicle trigger the action, so we got some of the rubber hoses the gas stations use to make the bell ring. Of course, young people today have no idea what those are. No. (laughs) But I think there's some of them in Small World on the necks of birds, I think. Yeah. Yeah, but those little rubber hoses on gas stations. I know. know, I know. Because very few states have them because you pump your own gas now. Yeah. Maybe in New Jersey. They probably have it in New Jersey. Pump your gas there. So anyway, but again, I just... Just amazingly how they just use sometimes would use simple everyday objects yeah. on these attractions to make them. Well work. you can't where do you call an order? You know, I need a, a springing neck of a bird. Yeah. Yeah. You have to make it yourself. And they were creating things at this point that had never been done before. So Now, as I mentioned earlier, the scenes in the Alice in Wonderland attraction were more dimensional than any of the other dark rides. Furniture, distorted but complete, distorted but complete, hung from the upside down room ceiling. 
The singing flowers had dimensional heads. The various bird-type creatures had full shapes and it's told she would. And the mad tea party scene had huge round teapots and cups. And there was more to see because this dark ride wasn't as dark as the others. Another feature that distinguished the Alice in Wonderland attraction from the other dark rides was its exterior. Whereas the other attractions had the medieval tournament-style exterior with the large murals of the attraction's characters, Claude Coates, Bill Martin, and Sam McKim created concept illustrations for the exterior, capitalizing on the two stories of the attraction. Claude Coates created a model of the exterior that was unlike any other attraction at Disneyland. Now, Coates wanted to come up with a more elaborate cue than the other dark rides. And he had a few concepts that that included a scene in an English countryside, like the one that Alice, her governess, and Dinah visited, or the cottage Alice visits and eats leftover eat-me cake in and becomes a giant. Had this cottage been built in the queue as Coates envisioned it, Alice's feet would have been sticking out of it just like in the film. Large stylized blades of grass and quaint flowers were chosen for the queue in an overgrown garden setting, and it still remains. Guests in the queue can watch the caterpillar ride vehicles as they emerge from the second floor, glide down the twisting tendrils of the plants to the loading zone for a new set of riders before they enter the rabbit hole at the base of the castle. Just outside of the attraction was the giant mushroom ticket booth where you could purchase your sea park ticket for 40 cents to ride the attraction. In 1971, the ride was downgraded to a 25 cent B ticket. And the big yellow mushroom is still there today. They downgraded it. I know, I know. That's so sad. I know. Today, the popularity, thank God. We'll get to that. Oh, now, yeah, we'll talk about it. It's now one of the most popular Fantasyland attractions. I know why. Yeah. The Alice in Wonderland attraction opened on June 14, 1958. A traditional ribbon-cutting ceremony took place with Walt, a white rabbit, and Mouseketeer Karen Pendleton as Alice. The white rabbit handed Alice a large key to the attraction, before all three of them hopped into a caterpillar to take one of the very first public rides. Catherine Beaumont, who voiced Alice in the film and on the attraction, was now 21 years old and a little too old to portray Alice for the grand opening. And several other Disney characters also attended the ceremony. The promotional material for the attraction proclaimed, Join Alice in Wonderland, the whimsical adventures that beckon inside the rabbit hole. Meet all the astounding characters, the Cheshire Cat, the Mad Hatter, even the oversized chamber and the upside-down room. It's all here to delight and thrill you in this outstanding new attraction. Alice in Wonderland wasn't the only new attraction that opened in Disneyland on June 14, 1958. The other was the sailing ship Columbia on the Rivers of America in Frontierland, a replica of the first American ship to circumnavigate the globe. So, John, when you um, go to Disneyland and ride Rivers of America, do you prefer the Mark Twain or the sailing ship Columbia? Okay, I only thought there was the Mark Twain, and I'm usually good with this stuff. So there's two of them? There is. We also have the, the Columbia, and they use it in Fantasmic 
also as the pirate oh, ship. It used okay. to be Captain Hook's pirate ship, and now it's Captain Jack Sparrow's. Okay, so, but there's only one in Walt Disney World, right? The Mark Twain is Disney Correct. World. Uh, yeah, okay. uh, Mark Twain is the Liberty. It's the Liberty Bell in Walt Disney. Liberty Bell, right, right? There used to be two, and but as we talked about in earlier episodes, there was a tragic accident with the second oh. one. They it was on a crane as they were going to refurb it, and they dropped oh. it. Oh, and it was uh, apparently they felt it wasn't worth the money to repair. <laughs> oh. That had to be a bad drop. Well, you will have to go on the Columbia. It is. Absolutely wonderful. There is a whole museum below decks where you can see how life was like on the ship, um, you know, back in the day. And I've got to spend how, more time in Disneyland. How those people fit in those bunks, I will never know. <laughs> they must have been significantly shorter <laughs> back then. That's funny. Anyway, but it, it, but it, it's fascinating. I love the Columbia. And in the old days, when um, when I was really little, and they had the fort was open, and you could shoot the guns from the towers, they would have cannons on both the Columbia and in in um, the fort, and that and they would Fort Wilderness, and they would shoot cannons back and forth to each other when the Columbia passed. And oh, it was it was just glorious. Leaving Disneyland as a six year old, I remember being in my cap from uh, ah Davy Crockett. Thank you, the Davy <laughs> Crockett cap. Yeah, and I would have my have I would have my gun where I would cock back the the thing, and you would have put uh-huh. the cap piece in it and light it up. The wooden yeah, yeah. wooden metal guns, uh-huh. they were great. Those and my father great. also started my love of puppets that same night because we went to the magic shop on Main Street, and he bought, uh, which he would have called fat and skinny, but it's really Laurel and Hardy uh, ventriloquist dummies. Oh, how great! Do you still have those? I do not. Oh, those I do not. Fun. They would have been fantastic, and they probably would have lasted because they were just hunks of plastic with where the mouth moved. Mm-hmm. There was nothing too big to break on them, but I remember them impacting my entire childhood. Could could have you could have had a whole new career, right? Yeah, right. Could have been a ventriloquist. Yeah, yeah. Well, now let's hop on board a caterpillar and take a ride on the original version of Alice in Wonderland. So the ride began with the caterpillar vehicle heading up the wavy track and entering a dark cave that was supposed to be like the rabbit hole. Catherine Beaumont reprised her voice acting role as Alice and narrated throughout the entire ride, which was unique compared to the other rides that lacked narration. We hear Alice explaining, all of a sudden I fell down, down, down. Then we pass through the crash doors into the first scene and the second chamber of the attraction, which was an upside down room of the white rabbit's house where all of the furniture was on the ceiling upside down. Now this gag was the major setting for the attraction, but guests eyes were drawn towards a mirror that caused them to look like they were upside down as they grew larger with the approach of the vehicle to the mirror. This reversed perspective was heightened with lighting and in the way the details of the room was presented. The floor beneath the vehicle was in darkness and the wall panels and floorboard colors were illuminated with black light. 
The atmospheric cartoon styling was emphasized by the asymmetrical design of the tables, chairs, and pictures on the wall. The furniture and props above guests' heads were built as flats with a two-dimensional look. There was a large central table with a furniture with furniture around it and many gravity gags like spilled ink from the inkwell on the table, hanging lamps, and an upside-down fishbowl, cups hanging from hooks, and the clock pendulum all exaggerated by the room's upside-down point of reference. There was an upside-down doorway from which the white rabbit would appear and blow his horn. He's late, of course, judging by the clock. The vehicle would then turn, and a concealed doorway would open up. Alice's voice narrated, I kept getting smaller and smaller and smaller, whilst the vehicle entered a room of oversized items that made the audience feel as if they had shrunk. A recurring plot device in the film was Alice eating various potions and mushrooms to grow and shrink. This was only implied in the attraction, and the oversized room was where it began when guests entered a chamber with a 16-foot ceiling. In the previous chamber, the vehicles passed beneath an overstuffed chair, a table, and a footstool. Now in the oversized room, This furniture was seen again, but a much greater size. A large Cheshire cat was on top of the oversized footstool laughing. The vehicles moved past the 15-foot chair, then between the legs of the footstool, which was now 16 feet high, with the Cheshire cat head reappearing in front of guests. As the vehicles approached the keyhole-shaped doors, the cat swung down from behind the footstool to repeat his huge grin upside down. Next was the doorknob with his mouth wide open. Behind the door was the Garden of Live Flowers, where flowers on either side of the track would sway and sing the song all in a golden afternoon. The ride vehicles would travel along a 45-leaf a 45-foot leaf-fine surface, up to the second level of the attraction, still in the garden. Shallow layers of flats and shades of luminescent green and gold were on either side, along with flowers, birds, and other critters from the film. As the vehicles turned right to pass into the next scene, a roaring dandelion popped up from the floor. Now we encountered the ominous scene of the Tulji Wood, which began pitch black with 10 pairs of glowing red eyes to the right of the vehicles. This was the largest chamber in the attraction and also the simplest. The vehicles rolled into the Tulji wood and made a hairpin turn. The wood was lined with many flats of branches of giant forest oaks against the black background. Amongst the two-dimensional tree leaves were the whimsical birds and creatures from the film, including the horn birds, the umbrella bird, the birdcage bird, and the accordion owl whose head rose on a stretching neck. The Cheshire cat's voice, reprised by Sterling Holloway, was heard singing Twas Brillig. Next was a sign that read, Mad Hatter. The vehicle turned towards the room where a mad tea party was celebrated and the unbirthday song began to play and sung by Edwin and Jerry Colonna, who voiced the Mad Hatter and March Hare in the film. Oversized teacups and teapots spun in place, but looked like they were nearly going to crash with the ride vehicles. Two-dimensional images of 
Japanese lanterns, green hedges, and the backs of chairs covered the chamber walls. Guests encountered flats of an angry Mad Hatter and March Hare that popped out of the ground and shouted furiously, Move down, move down, or very, very rude. After turning, the Dormouse would pop out from a large six-foot sugar bowl. Abruptly, an explosion of strobe lights resembling fireworks would launch, and Alice would begin screaming, Oh dear, how do I get out? Oh, I've lost my way. A confusing array of signs had displayed a collection of cartoon signs reading, Yonder, turn back, that way, down, covered the room, pointing to nowhere. Finally, the vehicle would crash through four diminishing doors, with the final door ending with the classic goofy yell. The caterpillar vehicles emerged into the sunlight with a spectacular view of Disneyland and descended down the leafy vine pathway back to the unloading area. So, John, what do you think of this original version of Alice? Because I... I've only seen it two years ago, so I'm trying to envision this version. Some of the elements seem to still be in place, but now I see there's some added to the end somehow because you go back into that building for just a split moment where that doesn't seem to be in this version. You're right. Okay. Mm -hmm. Right. And the whole, and that I love the upside down room. That was just very cool when you went. Mine was the dancing flowers. It's just. Just to give you my backstory, I'm a dark ride nut. Love dark rides. There's something about what do they have planned for me? How are they going to manipulate me? And how what am I going to experience? Or is it going to be a dud? Because we know dark rides can be that way. Mm-hmm. And this ride for me was fantastic. I probably waited in line five or six times by myself. I was losing friends. They were, okay, we're going to go do something else. I'm like, okay, I have to get back on here. There was something about how intimate it was. The way you're always, you always know if I extend my arm, I can't reach because they've made it so that I can't be touching, you know, people shouldn't be touching the uh, attraction elements. Mm -hmm. But on this ride, I felt like you could. I felt like everything was there just for me. And when the flowers were dancing, that was all for me. So I was just eating it up, loving it. And I thought it was so quirky and adorable. I could ride it every day. If it would be dangerous if it was here. (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah i agree with you i um but you know the funny thing is at first this attraction was not very popular with guests who complained that it excluded many major points and characters from the films including the entire queen of hearts segment which was planned to be in the attraction but did not make it into the final build wow come on you would think that that would have how do you not put that in somewhere I know, I know. That's a that's, crazy. Yeah, that, and and that's I think the main reason this because when you think about it, this really doesn't follow a lot of the, a, a lot of the sto- storyline of the film. This original attraction, yeah, it's just sort of random scenes that sort of harken back to the to the the story. Now, few changes were made to the attraction in the 1960s and 70s. Um, During this time, the Imagineers redesigned several characters and figures in the ride, and this included the White Rabbit in the Upside Down Room and the Dandelion and the Cheshire Cat in the Oversized Room, who received new faces. 
The Mad Hatter and the March Hare were replaced with full-figured flats pouring tea. They were more welcoming and less threatening and screaming. The Dormouse was redesigned and looked a little less like the character from the film. However, it would be the reimagining of Fantasyland from 1982 through 1984 to new Fantasyland in which Alice in Wonderland would receive a major makeover. In 1982, Imagineer Tony Baxter and his team were tasked with tearing down the original Fantasyland and creating the Fantasyland of Walt's vision, a European storybook-themed land. Many attractions in Fantasyland were gutted, including Snow White's Scary Adventures and Peter Pan's Flight Queue. Part of Mr. Toad's Wild Ride was removed to make room for another chamber and show ending for Alice in Wonderland. The Mad Tea Party attraction was also relocated to be closer to the Alice in Wonderland ride. The 16 original Caterpillar vehicles were given new chassis. In the original version of the attraction, the characters were shown as painted cutouts in two dimensions. In the updated version, 24 sculpted figures were added. The ride now started with the same wavy track, but once the vehicle enters the rabbit hole, there are numerous random items surrounding the vehicle upon entering. The end of the hall was the doorknob who began talking, and then the door opened to reveal a path with a sign that said, White Rabbit's House. The vehicle immediately turns to show Tweedledee and Tweedledum in the woods, and this replaced the upside-down room. And then it turns again to show the house of the White Rabbit, and then a fully sculpted White Rabbit. The space used for the original oversized room was added to the flower garden scene. The chamber is expanded and widened for the singing flowers whose colors were precisely matched to the actual animation cells from the film. After that was the flowers singing their song, along with the new bread and butterfly animatronic, and a new appearance of Alice and Absalom the Caterpillar, who was seated on a purple mushroom smoking. Show designer David Mumford, who was part of the creative team, said, The Alice figure was a last-minute addition after some debate over showing the character. There was a set of Alice figures in storage from the 1971 Mickey Mouse Review attraction in Florida. Included were some flower garden heads, the Mad Hatter, the March Hare, and Alice, so we used them at Disneyland in 1984. So you see there's a little bit of the magic kingdom there at Disneyland in this attraction. Hmm. So the Mickey Mouse Review was one of my favorite attractions in Fantasy. I never did see that. Oh, I loved it. And I saw it in Tokyo too, which was fun because it would go back and forth between Japanese and English. So, That's amazing. <laughs> Next was a sign that read Told You Would. And from there, the vehicle would go into the Tulji Wood, which was very different from the original. The confusing signs were still there and three newly modeled encounters with a new Cheshire cat. There were also many appearances from the strange birds from the film, including the rocking horsefly and spectacle bird. The Imagineers kept the birdcage bird with the little birds flying inside him from the original attraction. 
After the Cheshire Cat points in a direction and says, he went this way, a concealed door opens to reveal the attraction's new major tableau, the Royal Rose Garden and Queen's Court. The original track was expanded at the end of the chamber, and the scenic detail and design is amazing in here. When the room is entered, the vehicle travels through the hedges to see two playing card soldiers messily painting the roses red whilst singing the Painting the Roses Red song. There are squads of playing card soldiers marching around the room in rhythm and reflected in heart-shaped mirrors. Some playing cards are also acting as guards. I just think the the staging and design of this it's great. is amazing. It's great. Really wonderful. Very clever because it just makes it look like the whole room is filled. Yeah. Uh, it's the cards. illusion of, yep, there's so much going on. It makes the room look a lot bigger than it actually is. Mm-hmm. It's it's great. Yeah. And it's and the illusion is just so simple. So Great. At the entrance to the courtroom, the motto, sentence first, verdict afterwards, is carved in the doorway woodwork of the with the ace of spades standing as the guard with his axe. The next chamber shows the White Rabbit introducing the Queen of Hearts. The Royal Croquet game takes place, and the Queen gets ready to play whilst facing the guests. As she hits the hedgehog using the a flamingo as the club, the guests are transported to the next chamber, which is pitch black, and the only thing visible is a projection of the red hedgehog rolling. It bounces into a wall as the door opens and the queen is revealed screaming, that's enough, off with their heads at the guests. The room also features several playing card soldiers. Replacing the four crash doors are several doors painted with playing card soldiers. After this series of doors, one of the goofy screams can still be heard. The vehicle continues on the outside, descending down the leafy vine until it goes back inside. Guests see a vortex of dust and clouds with the Cheshire Cat's face in the center, tilting back and forth with his characteristic grin. As the unbirthday music begins to play, the vehicle turns to the right to reveal a long table with forced perspective and the Mad Hatter and March Hare seated at the end of the table. It turns again to the white rabbit next to a large unbirthday cake. The white rabbit repeatedly says, oh, oh, no, in response to the sparklers on the cake. The vehicle exits after an explosive conclusion and returns to the unloading area. When this version of Alice in Wonderland opened in 1984, about a year after New Fantasyland opened in 1983, it was a success with guests. Adding to its success was creating an Alice in Wonderland miniland within Fantasyland by moving the Mad Tea Party from its original location to an area between Alice in Wonderland and the Storybookland Canal Boats. So this is closer to the version you know, John. So so yep. what do you think of this version? So, so far, I can't tell what's there. It sounds like the version I love. I understand that in my mind, I'm putting in projections that probably mm-hmm. were not there well, yet. You're in some absolutely screens. right. You're absolutely okay. right. But I still like it. I still think I would enjoy this version. I love this version so much. It just... Um, it, I, I just felt that I was really going into Wonderland with this. Now, now do you f- do you feel the next version improved upon it or took away Absolutely. at all? Absolutely. 
I thought I okay. thought of all the upgrades they've done to the dark rides at both Magic Kingdoms, yours and mine, I think this was the most successful. Okay. In upgrades. Uh, I wish my journey into imagination had as much success with upgrades, but oh, it is not so. No, no. We will talk about that at some point on the show as we make our way Good. around Epcot and the series Good. that we're doing. On oh, our- I cannot wait. I think we're at, I think the land is the next one. On Perfect. Our Love it. So, but um, anyway, but yeah, this, this, I think it's wonderful. Now, which, which scene is directly above Hades? Which chamber feels warmer to you when you go through it? I'm just guessing. And it I'm is, guessing it's the queen. It, it, you're almost right. It's very close. It is the playing cards. Oh, ah, okay. When we go okay. marching around and all that, that whole section in there. When you ride through it, see if it feels a little warmer than the, than the other chambers in Alice. Because that steam coming up. From yeah. from Hade, the Hades scene and Mister Toad heats up that that chamber just a little. Yeah, hot air rises. That makes perfect mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I always try to take note of that when I ride the attraction. And do you do you absolutely notice a little bit in there? Yeah, yeah. It's very subtle. Okay. It's not like you're perspiring or anything like okay. that. Okay, but yeah, it's definitely warmer in there. So. So, listeners, you'll have to um, write it and let me know if you notice it. So, anyway, when this, well, anyway, well, uh, not not all not all went well. However, in July 2010, Disneyland management voluntarily and abruptly closed Alice in Wonderland when a Cal OSHA safety inspector pointed out that the area could be dangerous for cast members working on the attraction. The ride reopened a couple of months later with a huge scaffolding blockage lined with tarps that covered up the area below the outdoor track and added an ugly generic railing to the attraction. The attraction reopened and operated in this condition for three years. It was such an eyesore. I don't know if you've seen, there's photos and all that of this, you know, on online, but it was pretty horrendous. Um, In February 2014, Disney announced that Alice in Wonderland would close for an extended refurbishment to bring, in quote, minor changes to the exterior of the attraction, unquote. We were all nervous as to what they were they were going to do to this when it when that was announced. I would be. Yeah. The metal railings around the leaf were removed and replaced with a themed safety barrier. This included a wider walkway along the descending track from the second level to the first and the Wonderland trees that also function as safety protections. That's probably the most controversial thing was they widened the track. That goes down because when you went down before, you were like the track was almost as wide as the as the caterpillar vehicles. It was just a little wider. There was enough to walk down, but you really, when you were on that track going down, you didn't see much of the track on either side of you. So you really felt you were balancing on a leafy vine going down that track. So a lot of people don't like how wide it is now. But, you know, I think it's still fine. So, 
And, and, you know, as, as um, Rhino said on the show today, the, the biggest haters of Disney, uh, of Disney the, yeah. are the people who go to Disney. The fans. Yeah. The fans. Are the Nobody hates haters. Disney like Disney fans. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was, yeah, I think that's what he said. So the interior of the attraction was upgraded with the addition of many digital effects. So this, John, this is what you're ta- you're thinking of now. In the first room, projections of floating objects ro- rotating above you makes the falling down more believable. A scene from the actual movie of Alice chasing the white rabbit was also projected onto the wall before meeting Tweedledee and Tweedledum. More animated flowers were added to the flower room to give it more character, along with animated flying creatures from the film in the background. A full-size Alice figure was added to the Tolji Wood sequence. An animation of a hedgehog rolling through trees was added to the wall in the Queen's Courtyard room. One major change was two animated playing cards threatening you before you leave through the crash doors. Um, which are no longer, those crash doors are no longer playing cards. It's just simply a wooden door and then one more door with a purple swirly design on it. Goofy's yell can still be heard as you enter the outside. The entire opening section to the last sequence of the attraction was redone. The Cheshire Cat's tilting head was removed and replaced with animated teapots and cups welcoming you to the party, all bubbling and you know, steam coming out and things like that. Another animatronic of Alice was added to the dining table in the scene. Alice in Wonderland is now one of the most popular Fantasyland attractions at Disneyland with some of the longest lines. Looking back on the 1984 update for this attraction, Tony Baxter has said, Alice in Wonderland always intrigued me because half of it was outside. As a kid, I used to sit up there on Snow Mountain, which back then was just a mound of dirt with some benches. You could look down on Alice, and I was always fascinated with the track. It was so convoluted, and it seemed to lend itself as part of a Wonderland world, kind of crazy and eccentric. I thought that it was an amazing layout, but as a kid, I was always a little disappointed. You could see the top of the vine that you'd reached the ground, and that was the end of the ride. In many ways, I think Alice works better as a dark ride subject because it takes you to weird and exotic places. It was very far from the sweet stories that were told in the first three dark rides. And in 1984, we made it more appealing because now it ends with a bang. Love it. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm kind of glad I didn't see the progression of that one and only saw it in its most current state because it just impressed me. And I never got to think, this is new, this is old. It just gelled together uh, really in a nice way for me. It was it became my favorite dark ride. Uh, maybe the Haunted Mansion wins out a little bit, but yeah. we're talking about Fantasyland. Yeah, in Fantasyland, this is my favorite dark ride. Even with the updated you know, Snow White's... Um, adventures now in our fantasy land i still this is still my favorite i agree i like it unfortunately it breaks down a lot but um i wonder if is it the track i wonder what is the confusing part of it yeah i don't know i don't know if it's or something goes wrong with a caterpillar i i'm not sure 
but it's fun. But I did hear Tony Baxter say, cause I've been, I've heard him speak several times and he said they added that explosion at the end. So it could be heard from the outside. He said, mainly it was because what, like when girls on their dates, they would go, the guys never wanted to go on this attraction because it was Alice in Wonderland. But he said, when they hear the explosion, he thought that would make them want to go on the attraction. That's to see what was causing the explosion. So. If they heard a, a girly song, maybe they wouldn't want to go on. Yeah, okay. yeah. So I just thought that was funny when he said Very that. interesting. Mm-hmm. But um, so that is the history of Alice in Wonderland. So I hope that the next time you write it now, knowing a little about Alice in Wonderland will make your experience that much um, brillig, as the uh, as the Cheshire Cat might say. Brillig. <laughs> But now it's time for This Week in Disney History. So I'm going to go. Oh, did you have to say more? <laughs> oh, no, no. I just going to say John. So now it's your turn to start this week. But you are you're being assertive. I'm glad you jumped right in. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you what year I was born, but January 30th, 1971, going with our story, They had Alice in Wonderland days at Disneyland. Please tell me if you remember this. I do not, being a Disney World person. Mm -hmm. A two-day event with two parades. It would be the Alice, the White Rabbit, Mad Hatter, and this interests me. The Walrus was a meet-and-greet character. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He was. I, I would love to see that now today. I wonder when the last time he's been used or upgraded has been, because that would... I don't remember seeing him in decades. Right. They don't even include him in the ride at all. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they don't have that sequence, the walrus and the carpenter. No, the but yet in 19... Yeah. yeah, but yet in 1971, he was important enough to have a meet and greet. I just think that's pretty incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I, I this, agree. Does this ring a bell at all to you at all, this Alice no, I was aware of it. I remember when they did yeah. it, but... Um, I don't, I don't know if I saw it. I do remember the announcement about it. What I like at our park is Alice in Wonderland and the – and you used to see the White Rabbit also a whole lot more than we do now. Now we see him at Easter time. But Alice in Wonderland and the Mad Hatter are very active at Disneyland. Um, yes. I've, I've seen them like they've gone around they'll, – they'll hang out like at the Mad Tea Party, and they'll interact with the guests. They'll ride it. Um, The Mad Hatter has like a little teapot that he'll go around and pretend to pour tea in the guests' teacups. Um, They will will play games with children. They they used to do – I don't know if they're still doing it, but over at – what we used to call Cork Coat Corner. Now it's, I think, Refreshment Corner. It would be your Casey's on Main Street. Um, they do, they would play, um, musical chairs with the children and other sort of fun games and, and do chalk drawings with them. But we see them all over the place in Fantasyland as well as on Main Street. One of my best interactions was with Alice in Wonderland in Disneyland. And it was very different from what I experienced in Walt Disney World. In Walt Disney World, I'm waiting online to do a meet and greet. I'm aware of other people waiting, and it's not the best encounter because it's not it's not sudden. It's not uh, you know just happening. It's not spontaneous. Mm-hmm. So, but in Disneyland, it was. I'm walking, and there's Alice in Wonderland 
without a crowd around her. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, almost embarrassed at this point. I'm like, hello. And she's like, hi, how are you? And she's having this whole conversation with me. And I thought, this is magic. Mm-hmm. I, I don't have this magic in Disney World. And I'm one of those people that, you know, I, when I first visited Disneyland, I didn't want to love it. I wanted to like it. Mm-hmm. But I was ready to go in with my arms crossed, not my castle, because yeah. I, I don't have access to it all the time. But I fell in love with it. And I realized, okay, I see the difference. There are. Um, we have way more walk around characters at Disneyland. And some of that may be because we don't have the Utilidors. But they do walk around and they interact with guests and they will yes. stop. We'll see Peter Pan do that. I've seen Mulan do that. Um, the princesses, especially, we'll see them strolling through the park and interacting with the children and the guests and things like that. I mean, it's really wonderful. And it just feels organic. It does. Mm-hmm. It does. It, it does make it feel like a magic kingdom um, because we have the characters out and about wandering. I agree. So, well, mine mine takes place on January thirtieth as well, but Ooh. a different year, nineteen forty eight. I chose. I went back and forth because there were a couple. Of, <coughs> this was a week where a lot of stuff happened in Disney history that's important. But because this is in honor of the closing of your Splash Mountain this week, mm. I chose this from January thirtieth, nineteen forty eight. On this date, Walt Disney wrote a personal letter to Gene Hersholt. And the time, he was an actor and president of the Academy of Motion Pictures, Arts and Sciences, you know, the Oscars. And in this letter, he suggested that James Baskett, who portrayed Uncle Remus in the film Song of the South, be awarded a special Academy Award because people were loved James Baskett in this performance. Hmm. Um, and, and, and Walt wasn't alone in, in this praise. There were other um, sort of Hollywood luminaries who also wanted James um, Baskett to get this, get an Oscar. Um, one of the, one of the leading journalists at the time was Hedda Hopper. She was a columnist. Oh. She was known for her hats, her, her big hats. I and, only know her from the show feud. Okay. Which was a, which was a, a a whole other thing other than Disney, but I do know the name Hedda Hopper. Yeah, and and folks who love I Love Lucy the series when Lu- when Ricky went to Hollywood to be in the film, Hedda Hopper was a guest on the show a couple of times. Okay, and uh, anyway, she publicly she publicly wrote that James Basket should receive an Academy Award as well, mm. and so did other journalists at the time. So less than two months later, James Basket did receive an honorary Academy Award for his performance as Uncle um, Remus, making him the first African-American male actor to win an Oscar. Wow. So very nice. Yeah. So very noteworthy. And so that was, that was Walt and a lot of people that really, um, you know, really put their support behind James Basket. It was very nice because he passed away very shortly after receiving this Oscar. And, um, you know, and I, I've talked on the show that I I think it's unfortunate that song of the South has been sort of put into locked behind the vault permanently because, you know, it's not a fantastic film. You know, the storyline isn't strong. Um, some of the you know some of the acting performances aren't the greatest, yeah. but James Basket was terrific. But 
the the animation of the Br'er Rabbit stories are wonderful. And that's really, also those stories are really a part of, it's an American fairy tale, those stories. Um, They're very unique to the United States. And so I think it's unfortunate they may be lost. Um, I, I wish that Disney would go the route that they've done with Gone with the Wind where it's showing, but they have historians uh, who are not only American history historians, but also film historians who talk about the significance of the film and put it in perspective for modern audiences. And I wish Disney would go that route instead of, uh, because I think when you lock something away, it puts a mystique around it that grows and it creates more attention yeah i agree i agree what and uh what do they what do they call that the barbara streisand effect kind of thing where you keep talking about it it gives it more attention it gives it more yeah kind of thing so um like that where um i i think hiding it away gives it more attention so i so i wish that they just would say okay this is part of our history, but then have people like Whoopi Goldberg has volunteered to be a part of that panel to, yes. to do it and and just put it out there. So, but yep, I agree. I don't know. So, I do have a, a copy of it that I'll watch every once in a while. Yep, so. everybody's got that Japanese version with the subtitles. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's a bootleg copy in some way. So. You know, subject subject matter aside, I just remember being seven or eight years old and loving Uncle Remus, not having any clue of so what else was going on mm-hmm. underneath. And him saying it happened on one of them zippity doo dah days, mm-hmm. the way he says it, uh, I'm I'm really glad to learn. I did not know about the Oscar thing, so I'm very yeah. happy that he was recognized. Yeah, and I love the music from the film too. Oh, well, I hope it yeah. still is used as background music in the land or something like that. I don't know. My Not guess sure. is they're going to try to try to get it out of everywhere. I think they are too. I agree with you. So, but speaking of that, you know, you had the there was the last splash on Splash Mountain. Um, was that one of the attraction you enjoyed going on? I loved Splash Mountain again because I grew up with it as a kid and it was nostalgic to me. Mm-hmm. Once I I looked into the film more and learned about it from some friends, I says, okay, I can see how this is absolutely problematic for Disney. And they really don't know how to handle it. Yeah, you're right. Um, they don't know how to handle it, unfortunately. They really don't. They they have no clue. I mean, besides the fact that, yes, these characters are not known by children today. Uh, there's nothing new being produced with these characters. I, I do think it'll work as a Tiana thing, mm-hmm. believe it or not. Everybody talks about the mountain in Louisiana, the mountain in Louisiana. They found a way to call it a salt think, mine. Yeah, a salt mound or something. Because at first yeah. I thought, there's no mountains in the bayou. But yeah, it's a salt yeah, it's a salt mound. For me, I I I love Song of the South, the 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 stories that they have in Splash Mountain. I love those bear rabbit bear bear stories. Little parables, yes. But um I thought so I like that. And um I don't but I love Princess and the Frog. That is my favorite modern day Disney Ooh. animated film, and I love the music. And so I like that it's so I I'm okay with the retheming. It's going to fit in really well at Disneyland because it's right there right. on Critical the edge country. of New Orleans Square. 
you know, next to the Haunted Mansion. So they can just extend it a little. It'll work for us. It'll be, they're going to have to work a little harder over at at the Magic Kingdom and Frontierland because you have have Big Thunder Mountain like right next to it. So there's going to have to be a little better transition there. But they can do it. Imagineers can do it. We were invited. Yeah, we were invited to a media panel just recently, like in the past two months, Mm -hmm. to see a little CGI clip of the inside. And I was really happy with what I saw. Oh, good. I saw just a little avenue. The boat was going down it. There was animation on both sides. And then the animatronic Lewis was doing his horn. And uh, he moved like one of those really advanced. Oh, how wonderful. You know, maybe one step better than Ursula animatronics. So it looked great. Oh, I'm so happy to hear that. And I hope they yeah, have the music too. from the film in there. I love the music. It's a so new much. story, though. So I don't know if they'll reuse the music because it's oh, supposed to take to. place after the Princess and the Frog events. Yeah. The thing is, I can't figure out is because she wants, she's going to have a Mardi Gras festival. And she and and she needs something for it. She's going into a bayou for it. I thought, okay, what does she need? Is she catching frogs? It, I mean, I don't think <laughs> sure, could be could be she needs salt or ingredients. Yeah. All maybe. I know is if there's not a Mama Odie audio animatronic, I am totally not. There better be. And I love her song. I love which Tiana had, you always sings now. But that song has to be in there. Dig a little deeper. To has to be. Or some version of it. Mm-hmm. I agree. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I, oh, I, I'm so, I just wish they could have somehow when they named it, still kept the word mountain in there. Because you yes. know, people are still going to call it Splash Mountain. Yeah, for Tiana's Mountain. Yeah. Yeah. But Tiana's Bayou Adventure, because everything else has the word mountain in it Splash Mountain, Big Thunder Mountain, Matterhorn right. doesn't, you know, Space Mountain. I, I still wish so that it could be part of the mountain range, the Disney mountain I range. S- I wish so- they could have worked it in there somehow. Yeah. I don't know what it could have possibly been, though. <laughs> Tiana Salt Mine Mountain. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. But, um, <clears throat> but I think people, are, they're either going to say, let's go on Princess and the Frog. Sure. Like they do, sure. let's say, go on Ratatouille over at Epcot. Yep. Or they're going to say, let's go on Splash Mountain. So, but I'm and, and the gift shop is going to be busy again. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And then, of course, we're getting the Tiana's Palace, the French market. I had predicted that is going to be slightly rethemed to be, um, you know, there to be um, right, right, right. Tiana's Palace. I'm disappointed that they're not going to have Tiana singing there because years ago when the royal street bachelors would i think that's who it was who performed there at the french market they would have a friend of tiana perform and sing jazz songs and she would be dressed in like 1930s oh that's great i thought she they she they could have tiana doing that in a 1930s outfit because that's sort of the era of it and sort of how she appeared at the end of the film. Yep. And I I don't know why they don't do that. Bring that no, back. And to, and to prove that that works, if you go on the Disney Wonder, is it Tiana's Place, I think it's called? Mm-hmm. You can see her singing with her jazz band, you know, in the yeah. in the yeah that type of thing. And it's fantastic. It mm-hmm. makes that restaurant what it is. The food makes it be terrible. We wouldn't know. The entertainment was so good. Yeah. and But, but New Orleans Square is sort of my favorite area. Yeah. Of, of um, Disneyland with the river and and the music. Also, they just hang out there. 
and listen because there's so many there's so many um live performers there because you have the pirates band you have the jazz band i'll just sort of hang out there and listen to the music and watch the boats go by and get beignets and you know and and all that and um, i just love it love it there you absorb Disney the way you people are supposed to. <laughs> I'm totally convinced of that. Because oh. that's that's what people should be doing. Mm-hmm. Instead of saying, we have to go here, we have to go here, we have to go here. No. C- relax. Notice some of the details. Have some food you didn't think you were going to order. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's always fun. I always try to have something new when I go to Disneyland and all that. But, um, Step yeah. out of the comfort zone. Yep. Yeah. So, and of course, I'm sure you've heard the the whole big controversy, the Disneyland 100 Years of Wonder banners around Disneyland. There's a little misinformation. Oh, tell me. Well, they listed the wrong opening date for the Matterhorn. They listed it as an opening day attraction, 1955. Yeah. They had the wrong um, year that Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs was released to theaters. (sighs) They had it as 1939 instead of 1937. Oh, yeah. Are and they fixing this? The the Matterhorn banner has been fixed. I would imagine the Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs banner, by the time this show is released, I would think it's been fixed. Um, they but, and then Disney World. They put Disney World as one word, like Disneyland. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. So, and I'm thinking, okay, some people are probably thinking, all oh, right, uh, don't get your underwear all bunched up. But I'm thinking, how many levels did this have to go through? Yeah, no, no, no. How many sets of eyes did this go through? And people should know their history who created these and approved these. Because you know, there were probably sheets that just had all these banners printed on them. Little, you know, like photo sheets with just rows and rows of these banners for approval and people didn't catch these no they just trusted everyone else that came before them until someone who looked at it and says i think snow white is 1937 i don't know i i mean i don't know they need to hire me for some of this stuff didn't we have a fountain out here that spelled disney wrong or something i'm not sure recently we had something like that. I mean, every each park has its controversies like that. It seems these days, but that's pretty glaring when you're celebrating your history. You don't you get the years wrong. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, but and also, but what's exciting too? Coming to Disneyland's our Mickey's Toontown. By the time the show airs, our version of Mickey Minnie's Runaway Railroad will be opening, and uh, I've been told that the. Um, the summit, it'll be pretty much the same. Our queue will be significantly different from the queue at Disney Hollywood Studios. But some of the staging, they said, is a little different hmm. because the show building was created for the attraction right. here. So it'll be interesting to see. Do, do you enjoy Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railroad? Very, very much. And I loved the great movie ride. I did too. I wish, I wish oh. they could have just updated that too. and then built – Mickey Minnie's Runaway Railroad somewhere else, but me too. That's a, that's not a bad location for it. No, but um, I love Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railroad. I do not like that version of Mickey and Minnie and the characters that they've depicted. I, I think, agree. I think I think Goofy looks a little scary, 
but I think the attraction itself is so clever. Yes. Um, you know, the effects. And I've heard, you know, the, the design team, the creative team that worked on it, I've heard them talk about how they created this. And it's just amazing how the sets fold in on each other and unfold and, you know, things like that. I mean, it's just, it's just such a delightful attraction. Yeah, in that last factory room, it's there's a lot more than projection going on there. If you look at those shapes that do form and fold yep. the way you said, yep. absolutely. I try to notice it every time, but it's so hard because it's it's literally magic happening in front of your yeah. eyes, and you're like, "What and, is going on?" And in every chamber, I try to find Pluto running with the picnic basket because he's yeah, in every whole, single room, running through there trying to catch up. Yeah, there's a whole story with him going on that's really missed, I think, by everybody. Uh-huh. Well, there's so yeah. much going on in 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 it that you know you, you see something new every time yeah you know, definitely on it so i'm really looking forward to seeing this and the new toontown that that we have i'm so happy they're keeping roger rabbit that's very nice he's a lost character he really and, is and but I'm, we have that wonderful attraction so. at any time there could be a roger rabbit part two and i think it would be successful if they did it correctly i agree i agree and you saw the Academy Award nominations came out today, and you saw the Turning yes. Red was nominated. Yes. It's best animated film. Is that a film that you like? I did like Turning Red. I don't think I was its, uh, you know, demographic at all. Yeah, uh, I did like it. I'm not going to say it was one of my favorite ones. If you mm-hmm. can give me that, the choice between watching that again and Coco, I'm going to run to Coco. Oh, me too. <laughs> <laughs> but I did think, you know, I, I saw the way my nieces watched it, and they enjoyed it. Okay, good. And I thought, okay, that's who they're speaking to with that particular film, and it's working. It's you know, I have twelve and eleven and thirteen year old nieces, and they thought that was fun. Yeah. I, I, it wasn't my favorite. It was I, like I told Craig when it came out. It's one that I, I don't see myself watching again. No, I just didn't care not myself for it that much. But I did see Puss in Boots that's nominated along with it. I loved that film. I laughed out. I saw it in a the theater. I laughed out loud. Okay, it's now sad. I have to watch that. It, DreamWorks can go either way with me, so I have to. I have to. I, it does look good, and it's getting good reviews. Yeah, and some of the animation that they used is really interesting. It's uh, some of the, some of it looks two dimensional. Some of it looks hand drawn. So I oh. mean, they did different effects in some of the scenes that really I enjoyed, and um, nice. I think you'll like it. I'm going to watch so that. For sure. I I just thought it was hilarious. The Guillermo del Toro Pinocchio scares me, but everybody's loving it. I, I, I didn't watch, watch it. it. I know, I know. I didn't yeah. see it in the theater, but it's on Netflix, I think, or something. Yes, one, one of the streaming services. I want to watch that. When Craig told me he turned off the remake of Dis- the Pinocchio on Disney Plus after thirty minutes, I didn't even bother to watch it. Neither did I. I. I'm too scared. I'm scared of being disappointed. I did because Pinocchio is my favorite classic Disney film. Yep. And I thought, well, first of all, why are they doing this? Who wanted it? But I didn't care for the look of Jiminy Cricket. And I didn't care for the look of the Blue Fairy. Because I thought she had too many sharp edges to her. She oh, my look, God. She didn't look okay, wait, wait. soft. You don't understand. Yeah. I had this conversation with Craig. Oh, and the really? first thing people do is they turn it into a color thing. And I'm like, no, this has nothing to do with the with the nationality or the color of the actress. I think a bold blue fairy takes away the softness of the character. Exactly. 
I just felt she was hard. I, I thought it was a hard oh, look funny. for something that should have been soft and flowing. Craig, but nobody agrees with me. No, I do. And that's exactly what I said to Craig. I'm surprised he didn't tell you. Oh, you know what? Michael and I had the same conversation. I'm going to speak to him about this now. Because yeah. he, he was like, well, that's how the actress looks. I'm like, but yeah, I understand that she's playing a part. Fix her hair. Do some, Make her be a little bit flowier. But, but, but even like the wings and, and everything else was all edgy. It was the edges. It wasn't rounded. And that's yeah, they went for a sharp first. look. That's what caught my eye first. This didn't look like a welcoming, right. gentle it's, blue fairy. I agree. You know, so so that sort of turned me off. That And Jimmy Cricket, just I didn't know what he was. And can we talk about Tom Hanks singing? Oh, yeah. Tom Hanks singing was the song, not him himself, but the song itself. The words were literally terrible. Yeah. They, they were just... He was rhyming Pinocchio with Snokio or something. I don't Smokio. It was weird. And oh, and rice you could buy in Tokyo. No, oh, stop Lord. it. Oh, and yeah. I think wasn't there a Chris Pine reference in it too? And I thought, okay, a little too topical. Yeah, I didn't. So, uh, um, you know. Anyway, so I no, I didn't watch it. You know, I sat through the Lady and Tramp live action one. That was enough for me. <laughs> that was enough. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, and I haven't seen Black Panther Wakanda Forever yet. That got five nominations. Every, yeah, wow. Category, so I've got to watch it. Somehow, it's like there was just too much Marvel for me. I couldn't keep up with all the television shows because I grew up with Marvel Comics as a boy. I read Marvel Comics, and then I read Batman and, and Superman for DC. But I was a Marvel boy. And in, in my day, you were either Marvel Comics or DC Comics. And I was more Marvel. I love Thor and all that. I don't like what they did with the Thor character in the films. They made him a, a butt of jokes and bumpkin. Butt of jokes, yeah. He's supposed to be a, a powerful, strong god of thunder. And I don't care for that. And then I just couldn't keep up with everything. And I, so I sort of lost interest in the films. It so. became a lot for me with the uh, – I have to go back and watch some of the Captain Americas because I'm losing the mm -hmm. story. So, yeah, I need to get back into yeah, this. Yeah, but story. I've got to see Black Panther Wakanda because I like the Black Panther film in the character. Yes. And so I want to see what they've done now. And um, so I've got to watch that. I think it's coming to Disney+. Plus. It should so, be. Um, if it's not there already. Yeah, maybe it is. Maybe it is. It might be. It might be. I think you're right. So anyway, but... But anyway, so it'll be interesting to see what wins. The only for best picture, the only thing I've seen is the Banshees of Ishirin. Inish I don't know how mm. you say the place. I like that film. And that's that's it's part of the Disney umbrella. Yep. So um You didn't see Way of Water yet. No, no. So ah. I've got, there's a, a whole lot. Now that the list is out, I have to see. Craig told me I would love everything, everywhere, all at once. Yes. That film is. He said I would love it, but I've seen, I know people who have seen it. I said, oh, so what's it about? Nobody can tell me what it's about. No you care. knows. <laughs> it, right. it's, it's absurd. It's odd. It's yeah. weird. But it's also wonderful. Okay. I want to see. I think it's on Paramount+. Plus. I think it is. And so, which I have because all the Star Trek stuff's on there. So I just, I'm going to watch that this week. And I'm going to try to see all of the, um, all the best, all the nominated, best picture nominated. I wish there were only five. Right. Um, yeah. And I have to see Avatar. It's still in the theaters. 
I'm not try to see that, that one yet. while it's in the theater. That's what everybody told me, and I missed so Top good. Gun Maverick when it was in the theaters. <laughs> me too. So I have to watch that. I think that's on Paramount Plus too. But anyway, so that's it. So congratulations to the Disney Company because Walt Disney Company because I think they got with all of the different film companies under their umbrella. They, um, I think they got the most nominations. I want to say 22 or 23. Yes. I think you're right. You're right. So anyway, well, I referred to several magazines, articles, websites, and videos during my research for this episode, including um, e-ticket magazine number 31. They featured articles on the Alice in Wonderland attraction and Imagineer Claude Coates. Some websites of articles on websites I took a look at. Um, Alice in Wonderland Ride, The Evolution from 1958 to Today by Alexa Erickson. The Disney Parks Wiki, um, their Alice in Wonderland um, article. The Disney Classics, The Many Phases of Alice in Wonderland Disneyland Attractions. Disney Dose, Alice in Wonderland Attraction Before and After Refurbishment Photos and Videos by Gavin Doyle. On Diz Avenue, Walt Disney and the opening of Disneyland's Alice in Wonderland. There are a couple of videos I think you'll find interesting. One is a recreation of the 1958 Disneyland Alice in Wonderland attraction by Don Carson. I would say it's actually, when I was watching it, it's probably more one of the 1960 versions of it because of the, um, it has the Mad Hatter and, um, on March Hare uh, at, at the Mad Tea Party scene. It's not the scary ones. It's the ones of them pouring the tea in the tea party. Okay. So I would say this isn't the 1958 version, but pretty darn close. And then Yesterworld, they have a wonderful video on the history of Disneyland's Alice in Wonderland, the abandoned and unbuilt attractions. And Craig will um, include links to these in the show notes. So... So, John, until next time, how can our listeners connect with you? As usual, BigFatPanda.com goes to my YouTube, but I'm also on the DVC Fan YouTube channel, the DCL Fan YouTube channel right here. Diz Unplugged, you can go there and watch the Tuesday show and see me as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you can send me messages at MichaelBowling at DisneyInfo.com. On Twitter, I'm at MichaelBowling. I'm sorry, I'm at MBowling121. Facebook, MichaelBowling dash connecting with Walt. That's the one where I have all the Disney contents. My <clears throat> my other one, my personal one, it's um it's a bo- it's boring. It has stuff on flowers and things. So my garden <laughs> and all that. Instagram and Michael Bowling the Diz. And you can connect with me and Craig on Twitter at Connecting Walt. If you would like, and also John will be there too at Connecting Walt. Absolutely. If you would like to listen to more shows on the history of Walt Disney, his studio, his Imagineers, and Disneyland, check out our Disneyland podcast archives, my Disney history episodes, on the link Craig includes in our show notes or disneyplug.com. Look for past episodes of Connecting with Walt on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Pandora, and Amazon podcasts, where you can subscribe to our show and leave some positive reviews and ratings when possible. So thank you for making us a part of your day. And remember, I only hope that we don't lose sight of one thing, that it was all started by a man, Walt Disney, and his brother Roy. Roy.